This podcast is sponsored by Speaker Rocks Media, where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com. We've built in some of that with not only partners, advisors, customers, prospects. We go and live where they live to really understand who they are, what makes them tick, what motivates them. And I think getting that product customer fit early on is really important for any startup or really any person in a product management role as well. Welcome to the B2B Growth Hacks podcast, the show that helps entrepreneurs like you unlock opportunities for growth in business. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, and this is B2B Growth Hacks, a podcast powered by Speakerbox Media. Welcome back to another episode of B2B Growth Hacks. We are in our Innovator Die series, and today I've got an awesome conversation planned. Today, I have the co-founder and chief product officer of Vertify, Wayne Lopez, in the studio with me today. Wayne, welcome in. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate you having me. Of course, I am so excited to get this conversation started because I love what Vertify is doing. But before we jump right in, can you Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about Vertify. Yeah, for sure. So Wayne Lopez, been in the product management space for a number of years. I've been in the data space for a longer amount of time than I care to to really realize, (laughs) you know, the the gray hairs are starting to set in. One of the co-founders of Vertify, we started Vertify back in 2017, originally as a data integration platform for what we call the revenue stack. So sales and marketing and customer success systems. But we always had this idea that we could provide more value to our customers to then evolve the product to include analytics, to answer questions that sales and marketing people are now being driven to answer to say, hey, it can't just be about the activities that I'm doing. How is what I'm doing actually driving revenue? And so when I look back at my career and my co-founder's career The last 20 years have kind of led up to this spot, right? I spent a lot of time working for big companies like IBM and PricewaterhouseCoopers and Capgemini. And then over the past 10 years, started working more in the startup space for companies like Trendkite, you know, which was a huge success here in Austin. The first foray into taking marketing and PR people into being more data-driven. And some of the experiences I had there in terms of understanding and and providing a data asset that has value and collecting all of this data that's across the internet and all of these things in the marketing funnel, all of those experiences led me to kind of being the data geek and data nerd at Vertify, which works well with my co-founder, who's more of the marketer, right? And, And our core persona that we're providing value to is the marketer and the revenue team. So it's been a long storied career We're not done yet. We're really just getting started and really excited about where Vertify and and some of our new products are going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've talked about a few of things prior to this, but one of the things I really wanted to dive in is the founder's journey that you've had, because I think it's so unique, kind of where you started all the way to where you've come. So you've got a vast experience, but if you could dive in a little bit and and tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming the co-founder of Vertify. Yeah, so first, one of the things that, when we recognized doing this and we kind of took a step back 
It's like there's really no common journey to becoming a, an entrepreneur and really for a startup, right? I mean, I think oftentimes you hear the typical stories like, oh, they worked at this company, they had an idea, and then they kind of go and spin off and, and start a new company. Whereas we actually acquired a company that was an existing services company that already had a book of business with a lot of customers. And the CEO at the time, he didn't really know how to take a services company into a product company. And so brought myself and my co-founder, Matt, on because we had some experience doing that before. Right. And so we knew that there was a product that we could actually take that services based revenue and turn it into a product and turn it into subscription revenue. Right. Not just kind of like this one time thing with services. And so. That's not a common path, though, that you see in terms of kind of like the founder story, right, where you kind of take something that's already existing. But for us, it actually worked well because you're kind of de-risking your startup, which especially if you're raising money from investors, that's important to show that not only can you be innovative in how you come up with your idea and the problem that you're solving, but how can you de-risk it? And what's a better way to de-risk your idea than to already have a built-in group of customers that you can transition from services to product? Yeah. Now, there's a lot of baggage that kind of comes with that, that we've been able to work out of the way. But it's something that we kind of feel like, wow, we've kind of perfected this, if you will, in that journey of taking the existing book of business and converting it. And then, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit about how we've been able to repeat that process in some other parts of our business. Yeah, for sure. It's so interesting that you bring that up because absolutely one of the hardest things as a startup is to get a product market fit. And I exactly. feel like this is where we spend the most time and the most resources. And it's where a lot of fumbles happen, to be honest. Right, right. So it's pretty amazing to come into a situation, like you said, a great opportunity to really take something existing and evolve mm -hmm. it, which is the basis of innovation. I'd like to dive in a little bit to talk about taking a team through this. Mm -hmm. So obviously you have an existing organization, existing customers, and an existing team. Can you walk us through a little bit of what the, a transition looked like for you guys and some highlights and maybe some areas of improvement? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the people are really what makes this work, right? I mean, you can have a great idea, you can have product market fit, you can have product customer fit, but without the people to carry you through that and to have a vision of the people that you need, you, you really can't execute on it. And really, it all comes down to execution. And so one of the biggest struggles early on was to identify that some people may not have a role in kind of this new world order, if you will. The important thing, though, is to communicate that to people so that they understand like, hey, we believe you're talented and you have good skills, but it may not measure up with where we're going. Mm -hmm. And that's OK. Right. And what we try to do was we even helped some people maybe find other jobs because, you know, we were kind of pretty certain based on our experiences in the startup world that where we're going is a lot different than where we were before. Mm. And if you don't get the people right, you won't get the rest of it right. So that's a challenge and that's a hard thing to deal with. Yeah. And it takes a lot of communication. It takes a lot of transparency. But those are some of the values that are core to what we're doing today. However, on the positive side of that, it creates new opportunities for people who are along for that ride, that they are part of that vision. 
And I can tell you we have people that are still on our team today that have changed roles once or twice now because they're flexible and they can be adaptive. And we recognize that. And we say that, hey, we think you can be along for this ride, but it's going to take you being able to be a little flexible on how we get there. And if you can do that, you will be able to reap the rewards of new skills that you get. Maybe even higher incentives, more compensation, you know, things like that. So getting the people part in in terms of this journey is a challenge, but it also represents some opportunities. And if you don't get that part right, it's going to pose a lot of problems. But if you do, really, the sky's the limit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the organization side, you want to do this well, obviously, because you want a great foundation for your organization, especially if you're coming through a big transition into a completely new product line, model, mission value and management team. I really, really feel so compelled by what you said on the employee side of it. And I think this gets missed so often is we come out of college or we come out of an opportunity or off a job that we didn't favor. And we come into a new organization, not recognizing that if we can be adaptable, well, first, if we can find a mission that aligns with our personal values, you can go so far within that organization. If that job doesn't exist or this grand idea that you have, it can be created if you simply take the first step of investing in being a learner and being adaptable and being flexible. Those things take you so far. And in the previous career I had, even before founding Speakerbox with my partner, is there were new positions and new titles created all the time. All the time, right? Yeah. But it comes from what you said. And I think that's really the exciting energy of a startup. And I would say that Vertify still went down this lane of really being a startup in a huge sense because of the transition. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So tell me about now we've transitioned. Now the team is on and now you're getting started up with your new product and the new mission and values transitioning. What does it look like starting out as a business and then lead me all the way up to COVID hitting? Yeah. I mean, nobody really could have predicted it, although, you know, some of the experts will say this was it was inevitable. And if you look at history, this has happened before. So you could say, well, maybe you need to be prepared for it. But I think from a business standpoint, it really is hard to predict or kind of put you in a situation to be flexible enough to say, oh, yeah, we're prepared for a global pandemic. (laughs) But I think what it did require, I literally think back to some of the days that led up to that again, was being flexible in our organization. So not just individuals being flexible and being able to adapt, but taking a step back and looking and saying, as an organization, we can kind of say, you know what, we're packing it in. This is too hard. How do we deal with something like this? For us, it actually created greater focus. We actually wound up coming out of the other end of it at the end of 2020 better and growing at a much higher rate as a result. And let me kind of get into how and what would happen. So we're really a B2B focused company today, but we had a percentage of our business that was B2C, right? You know, business to consumer. And so we had like hotels, travel, things like that, which were highly disrupted as a result of COVID. And we said, all right, we could just live with letting go some of those customers, which we actually did something good by those customers. We actually let them use our software for free for an amount of time because we knew the impact that it had on them. Wow. Right. And, and we felt like because we just want to help. I mean, yeah, we're trying to sell a solution, but we're also trying to help the ecosystem and revenue teams and marketers. So we, we let them use it free for a number of months. But when we started to say, all right, where do we go? How do we grow as a result of this? Can this turn into an opportunity? We said, well, there's going to actually be industries 
that will benefit. And maybe benefit's not quite the right word, right? Because we, we want to be sensitive to you know what was going on you know in the world and it still is. But would actually be a positive, such as biotech, healthcare, right? There's a greater need for some of these industries where we weren't focused on them at all. Mm-hmm. And so we said, all right. Will those industries have a need to get their message out more efficiently? And will leveraging our technology to help automate that and get some of the insights help improve those capabilities? And the answer is yes. So that was the first time we were a little bit more purposeful in going after specific industries that we thought would do better as a result of kind of some of the things that the pandemic was providing. And lo and behold, we brought on our first biotech customer, our first healthcare customer. And so we actually, again, grew as a result of that and created a greater focus because we said, you know what, B2C is probably not the best focus area for us right now. Our technology and solution is slotted better for B2B, hence, you know, being on a show like B2B Growth Hacks. <laughs> and again, it, it just created greater focus. And when you can be focused as a startup and as an organization, you can grow faster, right? You can remove the friction. And so that was one of the positives that came out of being able to deal with COVID as a result of that. Yeah. Oh, so compelling. I'm going to hit on three points for you guys in case you missed it. One, looking for opportunities to help the ecosystem that you're in, meaning give value first. Look for places that you can help somebody going through a problem, not just how my solution helps this person, but how can I be of service to this person? So kudos to Vertify for that. The second is looking for opportunity. So again, I think it's that approach of really coming in with fresh eyes always, not feeling backed into a corner so much that you can't take a step back and look for opportunities that exist. And then the third one, focused energy. Focused energy equals growth. So on that note, tell me how Vertify is growing now and how with the approach of a new product, how you're launching that and innovating. Yeah. So, I mean, the growth that we've experienced, again, coming out of fourth quarter 2020 into now has been anything that, you know, beyond what we've seen in the prior couple of years, And it's really put us on a good trajectory. We're in the middle of kind of going through a fundraising, you know, round right now. And again, it's putting us in good light, I think, with with a lot of investors based off of what we've been able to accomplish both before the pandemic and coming out of that. And so we also launched the evolution of our product. Right. We went from kind of just integration into using some of that technology and leveraging that asset to then build analytics, which has a little bit more value to some of our customers. But we were also able to leverage what we did in terms of going from that services-based business to the product-based business, because now I already have a pool of customers that are the integration customers that we've listened to them in terms of their pain points, challenges, and needs to say, well, wait, we can basically use some of what you're providing to us to evolve the product and satisfy some of your additional needs. So it helps us to expand the company, but it also provides more value. And we use the same playbook, right, that we did from going from that services to product company to, hey, you're an integration customer. Now you can become an analytics customer. Same, you know, sense of technology, the same company, you get the same customer experience. You know, a lot of what we bring to the table in terms of thought leadership, innovation, And again, we're just leveraging that same playbook. It served us well. And so we kind of hang our hat on that and say, okay, if if we're ever going to launch another product beyond that, 
we have a repeatable playbook and it's all about if you need to scale and if you want to scale, having a way to be able to rinse, wash, repeat that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've built that into our DNA over the past six to nine months. Yeah, absolutely. And you hit on something that is so crucial when you're developing a new product, and that's customer feedback. Mm -hmm. If you're not talking to your customers, getting their feedback on product, improving your customer service experience, improving your platform experience for people, then you're going to miss the opportunities that would give you ideas on how to innovate the product or what's necessary in the next steps to keep that evolution going. Yeah, it's so important, Sarah. I mean, people think that if you have a great idea, you just go and build it and, and it, it will come. And it just doesn't work that way, right? And one of the things that I actually love doing as a, as a product person is listening to customers, right? To living where they live, understanding their pain points. Because really, at the end of the day, I just like to help people, yeah. right? So if you're a marketer, if you're a salesperson, I want to help you be the best marketer or salesperson that you can be. It just so happens that I use technology to help you do that. But it's really just becomes about listening to your customer. Like we have goals around listening to prospect or customer calls on a certain period or or cadence so that we're understanding what they're dealing with. There's technology where you can evaluate what they're doing with your software, but that's not enough. You have to hear their voice and their pain. And we make that a part of our goals to have those conversations with our customers on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. Our company has really invested heavily in doing that the last few months as well. And it's so funny because something as simple as looking at transcripts. So of course we're in the media space, we're in a podcast space. There's AI technology that helps you pick out keywords. So now I don't even have to wonder what the key themes are. I know based on utilizing AI technology that'll transcribe the conversation for me. So our team has been looking heavily into it as well. And I couldn't agree with you more that it is so much different than watching a mouse flow and how people interact with (laughs) your screen or simply seeing the hot button points on your website. There is a different element to it. And I think the best element that comes with that is the fact that people get to connect with people at your company. And that's really what we all crave at the end of the day is connection. So you kind of went into this a little bit, but if you were going to give somebody a piece of advice related to launching a new product in the B2B space, what's one of the biggest pieces of advice you would give them? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things you hit on earlier was around product market fit. And a theme that I try to communicate to, especially a lot of product people and startups is, well, you need product customer fit before product market fit. Product mm. market fit assumes that you really already understand the customer and then it becomes about distribution. Well, but product customer fit is, well, do you really understand the persona the title, the job, right? There's a thing in product we call job to be done, you know, JTBD. And using what's called sometimes in the anthropology world, such as ethnography, which is living where people live. Mm. So not just talking to them on the phone, but visiting them in their office. What does their day-to-day look like, right? At eight o'clock, they do this. You know, at nine o'clock, they're in a meeting. And understanding those things, There's no way to replicate that even through a conversation. And so we've built in some of that with not only partners, advisors, customers, prospects. We go and live where they live to really understand who they are, what makes them tick, what motivates them. And I think getting that product customer fit early on is really important for any startup or really any person in a product management role as well. Yeah, for sure. And to your point, I think that there's so much conversation around the different perspectives and different challenges that we face. I think in the business landscape in the United States 
in general as far as it not being diverse enough. And I think that the issue there really goes down to exactly what you're talking about. It's a lack of perspective. Yeah, and understanding, right? Yeah. yeah. So so how can we become better business people, countrymen, citizens, et cetera, if we don't understand perspective? And so that's a, a really wide view of it. But I say all that to say, when you're going to build a business, you can expect to create a solution for a problem that you don't know exists or you haven't experienced. So you have to do one of two things. You have to get feedback from your customer mm-hmm. to hear that, or you need to experience it yourself. And I actually think that the way that you mentioned it the second time, which is experiencing it, is the more powerful thing. Because we don't always know how to articulate what we're feeling or what we're going through. Right. And your customers sometimes don't know how to articulate the problems that they're Absolutely. having. Absolutely. And it's just about having empathy. you know. And luckily, though, my co-founder is a marketer by trade. And so he had some of these pain points. So we can kind of start with him as a data point, <laughs> right? Because it's like, man, I had this problem. This is why we kind of came together. But again, there's nothing to really replace having that empathy and seeing and understanding people to be able to get that perspective like you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to do it. Vertify is a data company. And so we're going to talk data a little bit because we're going into data points here and how important it is to collect some of this information. But I have to be honest, I'm a little bit of of an analysis paralysis person. (laughs) And I'm sure you guys deal with this in data all the time. Tell me, what does good data consist of? How do we use it well? And where are we constantly getting it wrong? Yeah, I mean, first, I think, People think because analytics and data analysis sounds like this complex thing that in terms of what you view and read, it needs to be complex. And that's just not true. I think the goal has been how do you turn things that are complex into something simple? And one of the things that, you know, we've been lauded for that I, I love talking with like our engineering and design team because we get a lot of feedback from our customers. Wow, the UI is so simple and intuitive and easy to read, right? Just because it's analytics doesn't mean that it has to be hard and complex, right? Our goal is to translate that into something that's easy to read, easy to use. So I think that's an area of focus. I think the other thing that a lot of people miss with data and analytics is that there's just no such thing as data that doesn't present problems. Mm. There's always missing data, gaps in data, especially if people, if there's manual input of data, there's always going to be anomalies, exceptions. And what we've seen is far too long, other analytics companies and traditional business intelligence companies, they operate from a standpoint of, if I'm showing you the results, that means that they're golden. Mm. And because we've been in this space so long, we know that that's just not true. (laughs) And we've been able to build some solutions into our product to uncover that. So we have like this diagnostics capability that says that, okay, your marketing win rate is 35%. But really it could be better. You're missing some data in certain key fields that we're able to uncover. And so we can help you improve the results by also helping you to clean up your data, identify where there's problems with the data so the results can be better. And so I think that's a key piece that a lot of people miss unless you're really in this and you know you've been dealing with, oh man, we know we have dirty data. How do we make sure that the results take that into consideration? And so those are some of the things that we've built into our tool, again, because we understand our customer and we know what they're dealing with. So those are the challenges that present themselves that we try to find a way to have solutions around because it's pervasive throughout the kind of this ecosystem. 
Yeah, and it's a really difficult problem because, mm-hmm. I mean, to be frank, we all have different platforms that we use and we all have different kind of ways that we use them. There is an user experience and an intentional piece about each platform that I think makes sense, LinkedIn versus Facebook, Twitter versus Instagram, and that type of nature. But it's very difficult to understand how these things work together in combination with traditional marketing tactics like your SEO efforts, like your website traffic. And it's really difficult to figure out how all this data translates to something. Right. How do we figure that out? Yeah. I mean, the first piece is you have to have access to all of the data, mm-hmm. right? There's so much data, right? There's a proliferation of data now. Sometimes people get overwhelmed, right? They're trying to do all this stuff in spreadsheets. And that's part of what we're trying to provide is a way where we remove a lot of that manual dealing with data and let the machines be good at what they're doing. So we use some machine learning in some of those instances to make sense and tie the data together to tell a story. But you have to get access to all of the data. And that's a big problem that I think sometimes analytics fails because it's only looking at parts of the data, right? Mm -hmm. And what we say is, you know, you're getting a half truth, you know, versus the whole truth. And because of our roots as an integration platform, we have the technology to access all of the data to tell what we call the whole truth. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the first step to be able to get around some of those issues is getting access to all of the data. Understand that there's areas where the data may not be as clean or as present, but providing a way to communicate that to the user so that now they can see things like the entire buyer's journey, right? Not just half of the journey. That stuff tends to get overlooked, but that's part of what our solution has been about. Yeah. And you're bringing up another issue here that I know exists in organizations I've dealt with in my career. And I know other B2B orgs are too, where you have different data in that lives in different departments. Mm-hmm. Right. And so maybe one department prefers a certain platform data point, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then you have another department, say marketing and sales that are operating on different data points. So it sounds like the solution that you have really helps alleviate that problem, which I totally. know is a huge problem. It, it's a huge problem, right? And, and even though some of these tools, right, like the CRMs and the marketing automation platform, they may have like what's called a native integration. Right. But those native integrations only go like a, an inch deep is what we call it. Yeah. And it just misses things. And it also doesn't always do a good job of translating. Earlier, when you talked about what are some of the things we're doing that's innovative, we've built what we call this common data model where we can look at any CRM or marketing automation platform distill the data down to its rawest form to translate it, to tell the story so that whether it's sales or marketing or customer success, it's a single view of the truth, right? Each team can have their single source of truth, right? So the salesperson has, the CRM as their source of truth. The marketing team has, the marketing automation platform as their single source of truth. But we present a single view of the truth. So then now you're no longer arguing over, well, what's true and what's not true. We translate all of that data to present a consistent story. And again, it's all that underlying technology that it's not always sexy underneath, (laughs) but it's important and core to being able to be accurate. Yeah. And to be accurate, to make good decisions. We're running around making decisions on this type of stuff every day. And you (laughs) could innovate and innovate in the wrong direction if you're looking at the wrong thing. So I think there is such a huge importance to having good, clean, reliable 
360 view, all encompassing data. And I think that is a huge issue with whether or not when COVID approached, you were able to pivot well. Did you have a good viewpoint or vantage point to be able to make an accurate pivot when you're faced with things like a global pandemic? And so I just cannot stress enough like how big what you guys are doing is. The audience here is a little bit mixed. So when we're looking at solutions, your solution sits at a certain point. What are some good starting points for people to start thinking better about having clean data? What are some resources that people can look at? And how do we go about laying a better foundation for this or backtracking out of the one we set up? Right. I think a lot of it always starts with systems processes and habits, which matter of fact, I'm going to kind of maybe plug a book, this book called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you're, I I just started reading that amazing book, right? It it just, some of the answers and, and things that they talk about are almost obvious, but I think you need reminders over the years, right? And it talks about the system is better than the results, right? So if you think about a CRM application and you're concerned with generating revenue and how many leads, right? It's like, okay, well, that's the result. But what's your system to make sure that, again, the data is clean and things like that, right? And so I always tell people, start there. Put the right systems in place. Remove instances of manual entry Mm -hmm. of data, if at all possible. Automate where you can so that things will be a lot easier on the back end when you're trying to do more data analysis and stuff like that. So having those systems and habits in place, even as a startup, right? Automate as much as possible and remove some of the manual entry so that you have the results that you want on the other end. Yeah, for sure. And you've had such vast experience in the data field. I mean, over 20 years of experience. Sorry if I hit you there. Sorry if I hit you there. (laughs) But no, it's so important, I think, because you've really seen this evolve. What are some platforms or products along the innovation AI data space that you really, really like or stand for outside of the product, obviously, that Vertify offers? Yeah, I mean, I look at tools like Zoom Info, which I think is becoming pretty well known and and almost mainstream mainstream, especially being a publicly traded company. I think they do a good job just in the data space of providing contact data, right? Insights on maybe individual people to help sales people make better decisions. And I think they've done a good job of introducing some of the AI components and insights around individuals so that you can better target your message maybe in terms of the products and and the services that you're selling. Um, So that's a product that even me, they're not a competitor or anything, but I always look at products that I can get inspiration from. Yeah. And, And I think... I think Zoom Info has been one of those products that I've I paid a lot of attention to. I think HubSpot is another product that I pay a lot of attention to and has done a really good job of kind of where they've come from initially and how they've grown, especially into the enterprise. And again, focusing on as much automation, good habits, good processes. So those are two of the, the tools that I think I've looked at and driven some inspiration for me and some of the things that I do. Yeah, for sure. Definitely familiar with both of those and love them both. You mentioned something that comes up for, I would say, probably most people every day, and that's inspiration. So I've got a unique question here for you, for the founders out there. Hey, I'm one. I'm not going to pull any wool over your eyes about it. This is tough, guys. It's tough. It is tough every day to come back and fight for something that's not laid out for you. That's not black and white. So For the founders out there, 
What keeps you motivated? How do you not stay up too late at night? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's not working. I already stay up too, too late at night. It's funny when I'm like on my phone at two o'clock in the morning writing down ideas and my wife is like, what, what are you doing? And I, was like, I got this idea. I can't let go of it. I, I think it has to be more than just about like money. Hmm. I mean, that can be a driver. People want to be successful and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, what is it that drives you to make you maybe feel internally inspired? And again, I go back to what I mentioned earlier. For me, I just like helping people. It just so happens that I like to help people through technology. Yeah. We've had a number of people that were managers of marketing that have now become directors of marketing. Like, that's a win for me. Mm -hmm. I feel like, hey, you know, not not to be self-serving, but it's like, hey, maybe we helped your career. Yeah. And I feel really good about that as an individual, as a human. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, right? Especially as companies grow. But I think maybe it comes from my upbringing and my parents. And so I kind of get inspired by the things they did on a day-to-day basis because they cared about people. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what inspires me is I look at someone's like, can I help that person be successful? That inspires me almost more than anything else and and helps me get out of the bed. What can I do to help Sarah be the best Sarah she can be through my technology or my solution, or even if it's just a phone call as a customer? That to me has become core to me. And I think for founders, find that thing other than just money that motivates you and inspires you. And I think if you think about how do you help people, That goes a long way. Yeah, for sure. And it's contagious. That type of energy and that type of, I don't even want to like just minimize it, but it's optimism. It's optimism. It's gratitude. It's looking for areas to serve. That type of energy as a founder just trickles down. It's so contagious and it sets the tone for the company. It totally does. So I think it's so crucial and love that. Totally. It might be the Southern background in both of us, but uh, (laughs) but I'm I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with helping people, looking for areas to serve serve, always being of service to others first. And it goes a long way. So as a top tier person at your company, you also feel the chief product officer role. Mm -hmm. For our chief product officers out there, where should they be looking in order to find potential areas to innovate within their company? Where are the biggest opportunities that you see typically lie or normal spaces to look in order to continue to innovate on the product side of things? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is oftentimes in product, people get a little hung up on competition, mm. right? They're, they're always like, okay, what's our competitor doing? And you can start to get dragged down by what your competitor's doing instead of just focusing on what your customer wants, Yeah. right? So going back to what I mentioned earlier in the session around ethnography, looking at data points around your customers. We have a lot of tools that we use just to uncover things about our customers and learning about them. So in terms of innovation, that's where I spend more time. Of course, you have to know about competition in the marketplace because you want to understand how you differentiate. And that's more about positioning and things like that. But I always encourage other product managers, just spend as much time as possible understanding your customer. That's where the innovation comes from. It's not from what your competitor is doing and what product that they just launched. Look at what your customer needs and how do you solve their problems and use some of the tools. So we use Pendo. We use a a tool called Full Story, right? We have a number of tools that we're able to uncover behaviors about our customers so that we can go back with engineering and say, hey, we think we see something that seems to be a pattern. How do we help solve this for our customers? So 
I think innovation really comes more through that than anything else you could do outwardly focus, focus more inwardly and on your customer. Yeah. And oh, man, there's a lot there. Woo. Sorry. <laughs> we could probably do a whole session oh, we just on that, right? Session. We could segue into <laughs> right, that right. because we both have, I think in general, you see companies do this well, and then you see companies do this poorly where it feels almost like you're just a hamster in the wheel that yeah. they, they brought you into. Right, right. You're just mimicking what other people do. And it's like, there's no innovation in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to like when we go to look at obviously, like you said, at some point you do need to look at what your competitors are doing. I think it's important to focus on not necessarily what they're doing, but why they did it. What problem did they look to solve that was ahead of where you looked to solve? And here's the thing. You could slowly become somebody you don't want to be by looking to the left and right and not running your own race. It's so easy to start mimicking instead of saying, oh, they serve this customer this way. Mm -hmm. And then stepping back and saying, this is a native way that we could serve our customer that competes in the marketplace for that. And I want to kind of dispel this negative word of competition because I feel like sometimes, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm competitive and I want to win, (laughs) but I don't want to win at the cost of providing somebody a bad solution that they don't believe in, that doesn't provide value to them. And so I think there's enough business for everybody to the point of not having to compete in a negative way with one another, but really looking in our DNA, in the solutions we provide, where do we have opportunity to serve a different part of the market? Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. I mean, you know, our sales team does a really good job of when people say, well, how do you compare to this? Like, we don't badmouth other companies. No. We just say, well, hey, here's what we do. Here's what we believe is good and different and why we think we can help you in the things that you're trying to achieve. Right. I think you can get that message across without bad mouthing another company or anything like that. Right. Yeah. Here's our approach. Here's why we serve best. Here's our area of expertise without discounting where somebody else sees value. And honestly, their skills might be aligned to provide that type of pathway better than yours. But like I said, it's all about first looking for areas where you can help somebody. Yep. And I think if you stay focused in that lane, you get yeah. routed the right you can't way. Can't go wrong. Can't, can't go, go wrong. wrong. Right. So, man, I, we could talk all day <laughs> and I have enjoyed so much everything we've uncovered yeah. here, but I want to go a little bit below the surface. Mm-hmm. I think we have, but I'm going to dig down deep with this one. So, one, you said you stay up late at night. So, mm-hmm. what keeps you up at night? That'd be the first question. Yeah, I mean, it's just trying to stay ahead of the curve, right? And also thinking about, hey, you're responsible for a group of people and their families and things like that, right? And so, again, you want to be successful and you want to be able to say, hey, we achieved this and did this. But I, I think a lot about our people all the time. Like, is this the right decision for our company that benefits our team members mm-hmm. and anybody else involved with our organization? And so everything always comes down to just a series of decisions. Yeah. Right. Small decisions, big decisions. I don't know if there's any one thing that necessarily it's just, hey, what is the thing that day that's kind of like oh, we got to get this right, right? So it's like, we're about to launch like this uh, webinar community building concept. And so it's like, hey, what are we going to call it? And what is the format going to look like, right? And again, we want to do, it's like, well, how do we make this where we're not self-serving, right? And it's all about that user in the community. 
And so you want to just do things right and do it the right way. So those are the things. It's just those little decisions every day that I'm constantly thinking about that uh, you just want to get right. And not to say that I'm a perfectionist, but I just want to get things right. And again, I'm competitive too. So it's like, okay, if we get this right, here's the result and here's what happens. And guess what? We might grow and this person on the team gets a promotion and they want to be a manager and now they can manage people. And I think about all of those things. I try to compartmentalize it, but it just comes down to a series of decisions that you're just trying to get things right and do the right thing at the end of the day. Yeah, I totally identify with that. We're much smaller than you guys, but I don't think the weight feels any different of those decisions. Whether you have one person or a hundred people, you feel the weight of helping people both in their careers and helping their families, helping them be stable, great, healthy human beings. And I don't think that'll ever go away for me. It just feels... uh, so heavy on me every day for sure. So what is a way that you get out some of that? Obviously, not all decisions are easy decisions. Mm -hmm. We deal with pretty big ones too. What are some of the avenues that you use to alleviate that weight or to help get you to a place where you can make a great decision or feel good about the decision you're making? Honestly, as much as my wife and family may not agree with this, sometimes stepping away (laughs) actually helps me make a good or better decision. Because if you just kind of surround yourself too much with it, kind of you talk about analysis paralysis, like now that we're back to like traveling and and like on a plane, I do some great thinking on planes because you're like isolated from everybody, right? I mean, sure, you can still get on the internet and stuff like that. But oftentimes I find like, oh, I think about something differently because I'm just kind of in this different setting. Yeah. And so I think stepping away sometimes I can't ever always turn off. I might be at my daughter's gymnastics competition and in the back of my mind, like, oh, wait, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we can solve this by doing this, right? And I'm still looking at her, right, perform. <laughs> but just stepping away, I think, and taking yourself out of the day-to-day monotony can sometimes present things in a different light. Yeah. And that has helped me tremendously to be able to say, oh, I have this different perspective about this thing now. Let's try this. Or Here's a different way that we can tackle this. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely for me movement. And I think that kind of comes with the switching of spaces Yeah. when it comes to environment. Sometimes for me, it's moving from one room to the next. Yes. It's I'm going to put on a different hat. So I'm going to move to a different room. Right. right. Almost. Okay. So it's not just me. Bit. Like the team no. makes fun of me. Like I can't sit at my desk all day. I no. move all around. It's totally me. <laughs> and I have a lot of things to do. So, right. you know, I can be doing a couple different things. If there's a five minute break, the Pomodoro method works very good for me. Yes. 25 minutes. 25 bursts. minutes. Bursts. Yes. And and that five minutes, I'm going to get up, I'm going to move, I'm going to be productive, but I'm going to move around a little bit. And I find that that helps me too. So it's really incredible to connect on that point too. Of course, we all want to be on a beach working somewhere. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, but you can create this environment in your space, in your office. It could be as simple as going and getting a co-working membership that's 50 bucks a month to help you progress through some of these bigger problems and help you get into a fresh mindset. So love that. Well, it has been amazing, amazing, amazing to talk to you today. But before we leave, I do want to let people know where to find you. Where can they connect with you? Where are you most active? Yeah, I mean, pretty much LinkedIn. I'm super active there. There's a lot of social media I've kind of shied away from and, and again, try to be as professional as possible. So on LinkedIn, whether it's individually, we also try to be community driven on our, you know, Vertify, at Vertify Data is our LinkedIn profile there as well. I still do a little bit on Twitter. So at Wayne underscore Lopez, L-O-P-E-Z. Those are the two primary ways that it's easy to kind of get in contact with me, kind of see what's going on with Vertify and other things that I'm doing outside of Vertify. 
Yeah, sure. You mentioned one great resource, which is Atomic Habits. I believe it's James Clear. That I've is got it, that James one. James Clear, yeah. yeah. But is there any other resources that you want to point us to as far as it could be data information or just anywhere we should be checking out for some good info? Yeah, I mean, look, I'll kind of give us a plug only because, again, we don't look at our like blog and some of the content as self-serving. We're really trying to help people grow in their careers. And so the Vertify blog, we've really put out some good content over the past three to four months months around revenue operations and what does that mean and how to grow in that role? Because again, we're just trying to be as helpful as possible. So I kind of point to that as one of the resources that we're taking a little bit of pride in and again, trying to provide something of helpful and usefulness to some of the people in our environment. Yeah, for sure. Run, don't walk to go check that out. But also (laughs) you mentioned wanting to do a webinar series. So I would be super excited to see that come to culmination and definitely going to be following along for that journey. And don't worry, guys, we've got you covered. We'll get all of these resources linked in our show notes. Yep. Wayne, thanks so much for being here today. It has been an absolute pleasure. So fun, Sarah. It's probably one of the best podcasts I've done and a lot of fun talking to you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to know how to get involved and share your story, head over to our website at b2bgrowthhacks.com. Also, while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest conversations happening here on B2B Growth Hacks. This podcast is sponsored by Speaker Rocks Media where we hand-build podcasts just like this one to create online communities for brands like yours. If you'd like to learn more, head over to speakerboxmedia.com.